Welcome to the Media Navigators podcast, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker. Today's podcast is um, a little different from our normal. Um, similar format in that we're talking to advertising and media leaders and innovators from around the world. But the subject area is specifically around doing business advertising business within the Middle East. We actually talked a lot about this in advance. Today is Monday, the 23rd of October. We planned this podcast several months ago, but before the crisis had um, started, it's ever evolving and we did question whether it was right to do this podcast, but it doesn't change the fact that people from right across the region are still living their lives, whether they're in the UAE or Oman or Yemen or, or, or many other places. They might be doing it a little bit more nervously, but, but it doesn't change business. So with that, and we throw the lens of understanding when we are recording this podcast, I'm really delighted to introduce, firstly, Manoj um, Kimji from the Media Advantage. He's the Managing Director of Media Advantage and based in the UAE. Welcome, Manoj. Morning, Belinda. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to speak to you and to, to obviously the listeners and, uh, and the WMG members today. Great. And also Luca Allen, who is the CEO of PhD, also based in um, the UAE. Welcome, Luca. Thank you, Belinda. Manoj, hello again. Good to see Morning, you. Luca. Yeah, likewise, mate. Like Looking fresh today, Manoj. <laughs> I know, I, I can tell the sarcastic tone in your voice there, Luca. Not Cheers. at all. I wouldn't <laughs> dream of it. <laughs> Delighted to be here. Now, both of you have worked in different parts of the world. I think you both started working in London. I might be wrong in that. And made your way to your current roles and where you are now. I'd be interested to know what was your journey? How and what made you make those decisions to focus on um, the Middle East? Um, Luca, do you want to kick off on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've been in the region for 13 years. So I came in 2010, September 2010. And I remember there were, it was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine back in 2009 that really made sense of the fact that I needed to make a change in, in my current role when I was in London. So I worked in London for a few different companies, including one of the biggest media agencies, which was OMD, part of the Omnicom Media Group. So in 2009, I had this conversation and very simple. They asked me a few questions and my answers made it very clear that London was no longer the place for me. It was both the pull of Dubai and what the Dubai promise looked like back then and also some of the pushback. I wasn't a big fan of the weather in London. I wasn't a big fan of the tax in London. So it was a bit of a combination of both. But I think the real driving force was the idea that digital back in 2010 was still relatively in, in its infancy when it came to digital advertising spend. And I was a director working in London in, in digital, and I knew quite quickly that I could really excel relatively quickly in this part of the world, owing to the infancy in advertising around digital media. So 
It was a career decision, first and foremost, and then it became a lifestyle decision thereafter. The quality of life in Dubai, not saying anything bad about London, I'm a Londoner, I was born in London, and I was raised there, but the quality of life in Dubai is, is, is something special. And those 13 years have gone very quickly, and uh, I don't regret it at all. One day I may come back to London, but uh, for the time being, I'm going to be here. Manoj, you started in London, I think you did a stint in India, so you're a a true international. Yeah, I, I did. I started in London. I was with Straight Out University working with Haymarket Media in pure ad sales, cold calling through the directory, selling listings and so on and so forth. I moved out here in 2004. So I'm just in, in my 20th year now in the Middle East. I haven't worked in India, but I did have a stint for about a year in Singapore as well. That was between Singapore and the UAE. But yeah, I was with um, Haymarket. I moved to Dubai I, I, very naively at the age of 23. Just decided to get on a plane, pack some clothes and PlayStation games. And that was pretty much uh, your life at, at the age yeah. of 23. And I hadn't, haven't looked back. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an agenda. It was, I'd been to Dubai as a kid a couple of times, just for short periods of time. And there was just something about it. And I think working in the media in London, and I started understanding, uh, similar to Luca, obviously with the, with taxes and the weather. But I think the main thing for me, similar to Luca, was probably the growth potential of the region and being part of a really progressive market. The UK media scene has been, is, is a very mature media market, right? And it has been for some time. So I think the lure of this kind of exponential growth is really what brought me over. So I, I had a stint here with Motivate Publishing, launching Hello Magazine, and then with the Times newspaper when they launched the Middle East edition. And it was during my time at the Times Middle East that I understood the entire business of international media representation and seeing how critical that could be and is to helping and aiding the growth of communications for a lot of the Middle East entities going on a, going out with global communications. So that really excited me. And then obviously came on board at the Media Vantage in its uh, early days in 2010. Yeah. And here ever since. And I don't really see things changing for some time. Very happy to be in the region. The region is expanding as, as we know. And it used to be very much about Dubai and the UAE. And it's now very much not about that. From an international representation perspective, around 65% of global communications from this region are coming out of Saudi Arabia now, which in pre-2020 was not the case at all until we got into 2019, 2020, that we didn't really see a lot of those entities going out. And Luca's largely responsible for that with um, Saudi tourism launching their um, their brand in 2019. And then it's just kicked on from there. So it's exciting times. And yeah, it's been a fantastic 20 years. Just to pick on Manoj and to build on what you've said, you mentioned about when you first came here, you didn't know how long you're going to stay here. I think that's true with everyone who first leaves let's say the UK or in Europe, they come to Dubai as, oh, they come to this region and they have this intentional stay for two, three years, potentially, then maybe go back. But once you're here and you see the opportunities and you see how businesses are starting to flourish, you grow in love with the place and it becomes very difficult then to leave afterwards. So we all had the intention of coming back, but once here, very difficult to do. We can't, I touched on in the introduction, obviously, the concerns and some of the fears of what's happening in and around Israel, but that business people continuing to live their lives. Now, we're seeing it, or I'm seeing it from a very distant lens here in the UK. What does it feel like in the ground? How is, uh, how have things changed or not? Luca, sorry. Okay. Belinda, look, it's, look, I'm not a political analyst. I'm not someone who 
don't have a strong enough background to, to speak with some level of expertise. But what I can speak on is the sentiment, the general sentiment. It's tense across the region. Naturally, a lot of people who work in Dubai are being directly or indirectly touched by this. They know people that are in the region, whether it's in Palestine or Lebanon, so they are being affected. So whether you like it or not, it's definitely hitting our day to day. And I'm not here to comment on what's right or what's not. But what I will say is from an advertising perspective, there are early signs, but there's still, there are strong signs that there is going to, it's going to have an impact. A lot of our clients are already talking to us about how can they adapt certain creative? Should they stop central campaigns being aired? Is it the right time? Is it sensitive? Are we being insensitive if we continue or not? As the time of airing, like you mentioned, it's still relatively evolving the space. So it's difficult to, to predict exactly where it's going to go and how it's going to go. But we are seeing that impact on advertising already. And I think that generally speaking, we've, we've had a, a real long period of stability in the Middle East for quite some time. It's important to mention that Dubai does not represent the Middle East in any way whatsoever. The, the, there's 15% give or take, of Emiratis who are, who are living in Dubai. 85% are foreign nationals, Arab expats, Western expats, et cetera, Asian expats. So Dubai is a bit of a melting pot and it does not necessarily represent the Middle East. So do not take what I'm saying as Dubai and what the sentiment is here, what the sentiment would be in the likes of Jordan, which is obviously closer to, to what's happening, the likes of what's happening in Iraq or even in Egypt, very different sentiments. And I think one of, one of the things that we should really stress on is that it's not a, the Middle East is not one region. It's a bunch of different countries built into a region with very different nuances who all have their own different, different challenges, economic, political, or social challenges, regardless of what's happening now in, in Palestine or in Israel. So it's a complex region. It's not easy. And Dubai definitely does not represent the, the entire region. From an advertising perspective, like I said, though, we are seeing that impact and it probably will continue over the coming weeks and months. The fear is that this extends into a larger conflict and that could impact 2024 plans uh, and marketing plans around that. I hope I answered your question, but I didn't not answer your question at the same time. You, you did. Um, and Manoj, I'd like to come back to you in a moment about the impact of advertising out of the Middle East. But Luke, you talked about culturally how different individual countries uh, and I wonder if you could just expand a little bit on that and also what, as somebody who was born in, in the UK with yet an, another culture, has that helped you or hindered you to understand the cultural market? Yeah. So I'll answer the second one, the second part first. So it has helped. It has helped. I'm very proud of my, of my background, I'm very proud of my roots. I'm very proud that I came from the UK, but I'm also equally proud that I have a parent that, that, that is Middle Eastern, that is Arab. I think that in a business sense, in the past, they, when I say they, typically the UAE and the Saudis would very much love to have that kind of combination. Someone who speaks both languages, understands both cultures. Increasingly, especially in Saudi, we're seeing the Saudi market, they want to have a Saudi market strong for Saudis, and they want to start to grow at a grassroots level, really strong marketeers and advertisers with lesser reliance on expats coming into the market. So we are seeing some of those uh, differences start to take effect. And, and Saudi, I say, would say is at, is at the forefront of that. As the largest market in the Gulf, in the GCC, the Saudis are very much the the key market for advertisers and for agencies to focus on. And, and more and more, we're seeing that the Saudis want to have Saudis running 
agency, Saudis, uh, at the at the decision making table uh, and making the right decisions for their country with a, with a lesser reliance on on on, um, on foreign foreign expats. I think if I would, I, I'm fortunate enough in my role. I look after Middle East and North Africa. I do a lot of traveling to Egypt. I do a lot of traveling to, to, to Riyadh because that's where obviously the focus is when it comes to Saudi. Obviously, I'm based here in Dubai. I also travel a lot to the Levant region. We have offshore offices there as well. Uh, so I get a bit of a flavor of what's going on across the region. And like I said, it's not a one size fits all. The, if, if you want to, if you want to come up with a creative campaign, the types of humor that the Egyptians have versus the Saudis are totally different. So you have to completely nuance your creative messages to the Egyptians. But there are pockets of markets that are notoriously quite strong in certain things. For example, in Jordan, it's very well known for their technology development and their AI development. Egypt are known for their creativity and unorthodox thinking. Saudi and, and uh, Dubai or UAE, they're very much focused on infrastructure, best practice work. So everyone has a slight, it's a bit of a generalization, but they are not no local nuances uh, that I see and that I get access to. Now, basically gives me a much more enriched picture. And the Middle East, North Africa, prior to what's been happening now in the last couple of weeks, has really been thriving. Small and medium-sized businesses have really been taking off across the markets. But again, it's being driven by Saudi is the key focus for advertisers because of the purchasing power, because of the scale of the market, population of the market. It's still a young country in terms of its demographics. So the potential is only going to increase. All of this has been backed by a very clear and powerful message from, from the Crown Prince about Vision 2030 and how everything needs to be geared towards that. So really clear vision as being, as being delivered. And it's, it's inspiring. Honestly, it's very inspiring to be part of. So. Manoj, back to you more in terms of, yeah, uh, Middle East-based advertisers looking outwards. Are, are there any kind of real cultural differences about the way they should be viewing the outside world? Uh, yeah, definitely there are. Um, and obviously in light of things that have happened in the last few weeks, those have started changing as well. Just to put a little bit of context here, obviously Luca mentioned very rightfully that Dubai is not the Middle East. It, it, we feel it's, as he said, the melting pot. But just to put some context, they're talking about the UAE is about 10 million people in terms of population. The UAE, uh, the, Dubai is, is around half of that and a little over half of that. So that's a, a fraction of the UAE. The UAE is, is 10 million. The Middle East is 600 million in terms of population. So, and that 600 million is not more than maybe 15% of the global population. So we're talking about a really small kind of sample size, if you like, but it's an important sample size because it represents a lot of the different cultures and the people um, in the region. Um, I think the first thing we'd have to say in terms of how the conflict has affected things is, I think, um, I know Luca does, and in our organization, we work with a lot of Palestinian people themselves many of who have a very high residential population in the UAE. And I think that's where we felt the immediate effect of empathy with those people that are working in our organizations and in the industry and across the market. In terms of how that has related to a more global level in terms of the advertising message. So I think the big Middle East entities, so you're talking about the sovereign wealth funds, the public investment fund, the big tourism boards, the airlines, the ones who really are dominating global communications from the region. Um, there's a tendency that they take, obviously they take very strong strategic advisement from consultancies and obviously uh, media agencies um, such as PhD, um, but they also have a tendency to follow what a lot of the FMCG guys are doing and, and the kind of global brands are doing. So we've had conversations just in the last 
10 days with clients and agencies talking about, look, this is what Unilever are doing. This is what P&G are doing. This is what Mars are doing. We should be potentially following suit, et cetera. So I think that's a challenge. And a lot of that is driven by, uh, a lot of those decisions are, are driven by uh, fears around brand safety, of course. Um, I think when a Middle East entity goes global, there's an automatic brand safety concern anyway, because there's a lot of negative perception. There's reputational issues, which we find these brands have to combat almost every single time they go out on a global level. So I think for the Giga projects and the public investment fund and the sovereign wealth funds, it's a challenge that they're quite used to, and they've proven themselves to be very adaptable in timing of those communications, the creative messaging of those communications. But as Luca said, this is a really fragmented region. It's it's much more than, let's say, for example, the county's infrastructure in the UK. We're talking about different dialects, different languages, obviously different religions, and even within religions, different sects of those religions, different time zones, different working days of the week in, in, in some countries. As Luca, I think, really said, it, it wasn't a region. It's very much a region made by individual countries as opposed to a, a natural region based on geography. So any European brand considering making its first step into the territory, what would your tips be? Because uh, you've always made it now sound so complicated that, that that's like a step walk away. That's our um, job. Reassuringly complex. We make a living from it. <laughs> <laughs> so what words, how clearly you need, from what you've been saying, local people on the ground, you, you can't just do it all from London. But what, from your experience, what are the tips you would give them? Okay. So, uh, Manoj, if you'll allow me. So if you're an, ad if you're an advertiser, when you want to grow share, you want to launch, you want to, you want to make some good returns. You focus on the big markets in the Gulf, Saudi Arabia, UAE are the main two. And then you have the Qataris, the Kuwaits, Oman's of the world are more secondary. So if you're going to concentrate your efforts, first of all, focus on the key markets, UAE and Saudi. As a third market, I would look at Egypt. Egypt has about 100 million in terms of population. It's very difficult because they don't really have a census, but let's call it about 100 million. That's like nearly three times the size of Saudi, but they have a much, much smaller purchasing power. So prioritize your markets would be the first tip I would give. The second tip I would give is your creative messaging, your, your campaign ideas, your media mix need to be very different. You won't have the same one size fits all. For example, the, the penetration, of, it sounds crazy in 2023, but penetration of smartphones in Egypt is not particularly high. They rely on more traditional forms of communication, such as television and such as out, out at home. And even out of home and, and TV are not regulated. So it's a very difficult measurement system and, and technology system, infrastructure system that sits in Egypt. So you have to really have local people in Egypt selecting your media and you need a very clear creative message that's going to create impact. Conversely, in Saudi, you, you have a much higher adoption of, of, all, of all technologies, mobiles, tablets, um, smart TVs. You can be a little bit more creative with what you're doing. But TV, pan-Arab TV still remains a really critical part of building reach and driving, driving good coverage. I don't know how it is now in the UK, but when I was there, TV was still relatively important back in 2010. It's pretty much the same still here in, in Pan-Arab media. So it's a TV first plus video approach. And then they look at something like out of home as a second. And then things like print and, and radio are much, much more neglected here. So 
getting the right markets, number one. Number two, making sure your media makes sense for each of the different markets. And number three, the creative messaging needs to be on point. You cannot be leading with different types of messaging. So I'd say messaging for different types of audiences. I'm insinuated there are a lot of different fragmentations. You know, you want to launch a campaign in the UAE, you've got to think about what's your approach with South Asians, what's your approach with Arab experts, what's your approach with Western experts. Then you break down the Western experts even further, right? So it can get quite complex. And so when it comes to the UAE in specific, you've got to try and find that unilateral kind of creative comms approach. Otherwise, what you end up doing is spending so much money on different credit messages. So anyone who wants to launch here, really think about a, a consistent UAE comms message. You would launch in Saudi. It has to speak the Saudi pride, tapping into 2030 vision or where they're trying to go. So harnessing the Saudi sentiments. And if you're going to launch in Egypt, the creative message, just make sure it's very Egyptian in its humor. Creativity and humor go a long way in Egypt. The current economic climate is not good. There's no dollars in the market. There's a lot of problems that they're currently having with inflation. So advertisers are looking more and more to humor as a sort of release mechanism to build up some affinity towards brands. So that's a little bit also on the creative side. So markets, media mix, and then credit messages all need to be really thought about quite carefully. What do you, are, are there any particular kind of industry sectors where you see there being bigger opportunities, whether it be technology or luxury or whatever? Where do you see the opportunities lie? Look, there's a lot of growth in, in luxury. You mentioned luxury. I think Dubai, conversely, is, is now one of, the, one of the key markets for most of these global clients. I'm fortunate enough, we look after Chanel as one of our advertisers, one of our clients. And, you know, they, you know, them and, and all the other big luxury clients are, are benefiting from the exodus of people leaving Europe or leaving the Middle East, coming to Dubai, finding out with individuals. Luxury is booming. They're doing very well. We're seeing sectors historically that were strong, uh, not so strong anymore. FMCG, CPG uh, have struggled in the, in the last few years. The budgets that we used to we used to talk about in the good old days of the P&Gs, et cetera, of this world, the Unilevers and the records, et cetera, GSKs, and they, they are no longer the same as the ones they were. And we're seeing other sectors overtake them. E-commerce, pure digital clients, tech players, and of course, travel, travel tourism is becoming massive here in the region. There's, the World Cup, the Expo, that all happened here. There's so much investment that's going into trying to raise the profile of nations, reposition countries in the eyes of, of the world's audience. And that's huge. When Saudi wanted to come and tell the world that, hey, we're open, come visit us. We have some fantastic touristic sites to come visit. The world was in shock. They couldn't believe it. But we saw the Qatari responded, the UAE, Abu Dhabi, Dubai also responded. So we're seeing a, a bit of a, a tourism arms race, if you like, where everyone is really trying to compete to try and drive their own um, brands, their own national brand to, to a global audience. And that's, it's fascinating to be part of and very proud also to be part of, like I mentioned before. I, I think just Adding on to that, sorry, Belinda, as well as obviously sectors and verticals, I think from, from a macro perspective, any, anybody coming into the market or looking to come into the market that brings progressive thinking, that is bringing an entrepreneurial approach to their industry, whether that's a tr traditional industry or something more technology-based, anybody that is bringing best practice into the region, you'll find that you'll get a lot of support from the government infrastructure that's laid out, from the consumers, from other businesses in the market. There's a really, a very highly progressive nature and culture within, especially the Saudi, Saudi the UAE and Qatar, you, you know, they are 
welcoming with open arms businesses like this, what, regardless of size, whether they're two-person teams or small, medium enterprises or, or larger entities. But if you come in with that culture, I think you'll find that your chances of success are going to be greatly improved. Um, I was, when we talked last week, briefly discussed COP, and I was interested that you were saying, particularly Luca, that it wasn't that big a deal locally, at least at the moment. It, I don't mean sorry. I, I, just <laughs> the, I didn't mean that. I take all of that back. What we was, what you were saying was that whilst here we are already in the in the marketing industry, that putting all of our plans, everything in place, that it, it but that it wasn't yet didn't have resonance locally. Yeah, so from an, I was talking from an advertising perspective. So clients, they don't come to me and go, what are we going to do for, for COP? As much as they would do, it's going to be, a, it's Ramadan coming up in, in six months. How do we make sure we have a really on-point Ramadan strategy, Ramadan approach, or a big shiny format like the Expo when that first came, or the World Cup? So it does not command the same level of advertising interest as those types of events or formats. But of course, it's a big thing for being Dubai. It's going to be celebrated. But we're not seeing that same level of interest as from a consumer perspective or from a government perspective, translating into advertising or, or marketing or media briefs that, you know, advertisers want to be part of. So we, we don't see that or yet we haven't seen that today. Interesting. So, but yeah. Agree, disagree? Yeah, I, I think uh, we did mention this obviously last week. I think Belinda might have paraphrased you potentially there, but it was uh, completely <laughs> inaccurately. I, I do apologize. I did try to save Luke's skin here, but uh, no, they, it was more a question of, I think as consumers on ground, if we were outside of the communications, as consumers on ground, as yet, we wouldn't have felt any effect of COP coming in at the end of November. Um, obviously, when it does take place, there'll be a small percentage of the population that will be involved in a business or working in a company that has a relation to COP. But largely, these things are their government initiatives, their global initiatives. They are away from the consumer eye, as opposed to something like the Expo, which most of us visited as consumers or the World Cup, which, of course, we could all get behind as it, the first World Cup in the Middle East. It was something that everybody, regardless of exactly which country it took place in, but everybody was behind it. So I think COP is a little bit different in that way, because, again, it's something that moves every year around the world. But I, typically what I think the region has done really well, and Expo is a perfect example of this, is using these sorts of events and major milestones as real flags in the ground to build infrastructure, to, to push the climate agenda, to push. We're having a lot of conversations, as I'm sure the, the agencies are as well, around sustainability marketing and how to how do we catch up with the rest of the world in terms of best practice? And, and I think that's a theme that you'll find coming up very frequently. Luke mentioned 2010 when he came over, part of it was to bring best practice in digital into the region, which we were in dire need for that. We hadn't even, I think programmatic was about eight years late in the region than it was in the yeah. rest of the world. So it, it, it's, that is a common theme we find. And it's not for lack of, it's not for lack of ambition. I think it's just potentially lack of knowledge and, and, and understanding. And we've got decades and centuries to catch up on as a region. And I think we're really accelerating through that path of them. And we've got a journey to go on as a region and we're, we are very well on the way on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Just to finish off, because obviously this is a, a media podcast, I would be interested to know what your 
media diet is like, where you get your news from and what media brands are your personal, and I do mean personal, favourites. Uh, Luca, do you want to kick off? I just listen to my knowledge. He's my inspiration for all things media. He just keeps me updated. Latest trends, news. Oh, just the start into him. It's fantastic. I'm glad <laughs> our I'm glad our marketing agency is doing this job, Luca. Thanks for that. <laughs> Look, I, I I've got two I've got two hats on, right? So like, from a from a business perspective, I'm I've been working at PhD for 13 years. I've, I've grown up within this agency. I've now, you know, I've been been I've been CEO for three years. I'm I'm so proud to work with some of the best brands in each of different categories. Saudi Tourism Authority. When we first started in 2019, imagine the brief trying to change the world's perception of a country. And that's the brief. How many how many briefs do you get like that? So that was a that was a fantastic challenge. Working with the likes of, like I mentioned, Chanel from a luxury perspective, HSBC from a banking perspective, Volkswagen Group from an automotive perspective. We're very fortunate to work with some of the lead, world's leading advertisers. I'm very proud of that. And there's loads of other local partners as well. What I would say is that my DNA, Belinda, is I love being a challenger and I've, I've always been. And I think one of the reasons why I want to be part of PhD is that we're a challenger brand at, at our heart. So I tend to empathize or I tend to get naturally drawn to brands that aren't necessarily the number one, but who are aspiring to grow and to disrupt. Uh, and Saudi Tourism Authority was exactly that. And, and then from a personal side of things, outside of the business hat on, I'm, I'm a big football fan. If I say who I support, then I'm going to alienate the entire, your entire audience. So I better not. But I, I get my inspiration also from people that are like-minded like me, who, who are just always wanting to understand more and get better off. I will never pretend to be an expert at things. I will always ask questions. So any form that allows me to get an answer from a question. What um, media do you turn to for inspiration? For what? For, for downtime or just for to help enhance my, because they're two different things. For you? So, for, so, for news, for... Yeah. Look, I, at the moment, the, comp, the there's a lot of controversy around news right now and, and real news and being depicted. It's going to sound nuts, but I'm seeing the best news outlets right now are, are coming from unregulated forums, unregulated social networks. I, I don't want to drop any brand names in there, if you don't mind, but you get the idea. I also do still watch TV, tend to be obviously catch up TV, not linear so much. I haven't read a newspaper in the longest time. I, I don't listen to radio other than when I'm driving. I'm pretty much like everybody else. But what I do, I have a fantastic network of people that share with me. So on LinkedIn, share with me fantastic articles as part of my network. So I rely a lot on my network that I've grown over the last 13 years to help inspire and help me learn. I'm not someone who picks up a book. I would love to tell you that and impress you with how many books I read. I'm not that type of CEO, but uh, I like listening to smart people. And if that's on a podcast or that's through an article, that's where I get my information from, largely. Manoj, that's a harder question for you to answer, given that you represent some of the world's biggest media brands. But on a personal level, which media do you turn to for your um, media yeah, from a personal perspective, I think it's very much, really, my day part is in three very distinct sectors so i've got my morning early morning which is drop the kids off to school and i'm a very much a podcast guy in the morning so some of that w would be work related would be daily catch-up podcasts with some of the major media brands a lot of football podcasts sport golf related podcasts um 
I, I can tell you, by the way, without giving the name, that Luca's team is the from the red half of Merseyside, but I won't say anything more than that. Um, just to drop him in there. You dropped then, him in it. Yeah, I didn't give the name away. But it's fine. We're not in breach of anything here. But the and then during the daytime, I think I really lean on a lot of a lot of business media, which, without wanting to 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 blow smoke to to anyone, I would say it's very much Reuters for factual reporting, Time, Inside of the Wall Street Journal. These are the kind of my main go tos during the course of the day. And then once it's home and the kids to bed, and that's my pure I, I, selfish time. It's either Netflix or, or probably TikTok just for the, the sheer entertainment value. But yeah. Belinda, it's a very impertinent question you're asking us because uh, the, the confidence in media outlets has probably never been lower than it has now. That Especially now in the Middle East, what you're believing to be true, what you're believing is not to be true, especially in light of the, the conflict that's happening at the moment in the Middle East. So just for you to be aware, and for those who are listening or watching, there is a real sentiment now is what is real anymore. And there is it. People are starting to ask the, the tough questions. And then, then the truth then becomes, where can we get the real scoop, the real news, the real insights? So we could see a world where in the future, things get even more fragmented. There, there becomes AI is becoming so, so important now with these stories being self-generated. Articles being written by AI, videos being created by AI. We're coming into a very complex time for advertisers. Our job as agencies or as publishers is to keep challenging, keep asking those tough questions. Because at the end of the day, if, if we lose the, the customer, if we lose the end consumer, then, then advertising, sorry, is not going to work. Yeah. Just picking up on that, we, uh, we, ha- we, we were asked to deliver a lecture last week at a university here in, in Dubai about on media to, to, to a group of undergraduate students. And one of the examples we used was obviously in, in light of the conflicts at the moment, there's obviously been a lot of clips doing the round on social media, which Luca mentioned, some are from reputable sources, some are just being shared. And you've got to be really careful how you're interpreting and acknowledging some of those clips. And, and there was one very specific clip, which actually has been publicized now, where it showed a group of young people apparently running away. They're at a concert, they were running away because of attacks that were going on. Uh, and it turns out after it was fact-checked, it was actually fact-checked by Reuters, one of your members. It actually, it was actually um, a group of people running towards a Bruno Mars concert to get into the door. So it was, if you Google it, just Google Bruno Mars Reuters, you'll see the article. And it was really pertinent because people are sharing things. There's a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a highly charged emotional state at the moment across the region for a lot of people. There's a lot of donation drives. There's a lot of people trying to garner empathy and everyone has some form of opinion on this. As Luca said, we're not, we're not, we're not political commentators or experts that you've got to be very wary. And I think our role uh, as people who work within the media is to, to probably spread that message that look, guys, be, be aware, be careful. And then there's a very, there's, we're, I think we're heading into some interesting times with AI, as Luca mentioned, and, and there's conversations about whether platforms should be declaring that an article has been written by AI or that an algorithm has been influenced by AI, for example. So there's, it's going to be interesting in a few months. And it, and it goes back to trust. And that's why I say a lot of my information I rely on is from my network. I trust my network. I trust the people that I work with. So I think if media, the partners, media publishers lose trust with the audience based on the information that they're sharing, we're, we're all going to be in trouble. And we're all starting to see cracks already appearing. It's very the same discussion (laughs) that that, uh, I was having earlier this week with a group of um, advertisers. Um, It is an unnerving time in many ways. I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today and fascinating conversation. And I'd love to do this again, uh, hopefully in a few months' time when things are a little bit more 
one hopes would be a little bit more settled in the region. So thank you again, Manoj and Luca. I hope to speak to you again soon. Uh, the next Media Navigators uh, podcast is with the rising star from our World Media Awards, which I'm really looking forward to. So thank you, Manoj. Thank you, Luca. I hope to speak to you again soon. Bye. Thank you, Belinda. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and thanks for taking uh, taking the time to have the more interest in the Middle East. So we're really happy to work with you when these opportunities come up. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much.